0: Hello. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. This week is the anniversary of my mom's death. She was such a lovely woman. Beautiful smile and so welcoming. My friends always enjoyed coming over to our house because they were always made to feel so at home and cared for. She loved kids. She she genuinely loved tutoring dyslexic kids. That's what she did for a job for the last twenty twenty five years. Um, and helped more than one young person find success in life. And she wrote down several stories of her childhood. Maybe I'll read them here one day. But my favorite was of the time that she and her cousin Deanna were grandma sitting. And they went around the house and moved all the clocks ahead an hour so they could put grandma to bed an hour early. And then they poured themselves each an entire bowl of maple syrup and sat there and drank it through straws. (laughs) They might have been kind of sick after that. She was quite an enthusiastic talker. And I remember walking into the department store at the mall one day with her, and she was chatting away, blah, 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 about whatever, and looking all around. She's walking through the ladies' wear, and just for kicks, I went, I turned the corner, and I let her keep walking in that direction, and I went off in another direction, and she was sitting there. She was walking along and talking out loud all by herself, and then suddenly she noticed I wasn't there, and she turns and she sees me like several paces away, Heading in a different direction. And I'm totally straight faced. And she's standing there and she's practically peeing herself. She's laughing so hard. She had this way of laughing so hard without making a sound. And it was just, it was so funny. And when I had my first baby and my husband was working nights in the theater, she drove over. It was like a half hour, 45 minute drive. And uh, she loaned me her car and babysat so that I could go to choir practice. She said it was important for me to keep doing things that were just for me. And uh, she was always there for me like that. She adored her grandkids and would be so, so very proud of them today. So I took her to her chemo treatments and kept her giggling to keep her spirits up. I gave her all the crossword clues and she would tell me the word and I'd write it in saved crosswords out of the papers had stacks of them carried around with me all the time and I asked all the questions of the doctors and I took all the notes with my background I knew one that we were allowed to ask questions and I knew which ones to ask and you know I freaking adored her and uh, she was there for me and I was there for her when she needed me and I would do it again in a heartbeat despite everything I miss her every day. Gatekeeper's Key by Krista Wallace. Chapter 15, Nightmare of a Sleeping Village. Kier swung her sword through her warm-up patterns, pleased that her shoulders were finally loosening up. The muscles on her back, on the other hand. She was grateful for the pain transference Jaskelin had done, because she couldn't imagine how she would feel right now if he hadn't. Her muscles throbbed, the searing agony on the surface had eased to constant stinging, and occasional twinges shot down her legs. Her rib felt merely bruised, though, so she managed a small celebration. There was no way she was not going to be ready to use her sword if called upon. Out of the corner of her eye she saw Derry approach, and a spate of embarrassment rushed through her. Her reaction to his doubt of fennel had been a little over the top, and she couldn't explain why. Maybe because she knew how hard the elf tried to make a good impression, how desperately he wanted to make up for his earlier mistakes, and how that would never happen if his leader did not believe him capable of it. Perhaps she understood the elf because she shared his feelings. She felt less guilty about her outburst at Janik. His vitriol was getting awfully tired. As if reading her mind, Derry said, Janik is not the group's spokesman, you know. Kier paused mid-swing. Staring at the tip of her sword, the working of her legs as she held the position gave her a feeling of sturdiness. She nodded once, his point taken. She continued the sword's movement into the next stance. Fennel wouldn't make so many mistakes if you didn't expect him to. (sighs) The captain exhaled. You sure don't make it easy. He stopped, and the suddenness of it drew her attention. He was staring at the rocky outcropping behind her, wearing a puzzled frown. She relaxed her stance, wondering if he'd seen a poisonous creature over her shoulder. What? Then she realized he was listening. A message from Jaskellen. He hastened over to Donagill, calling to Janik, who got to his feet with surprising agility. We have to go into the village. He flew up onto the warhorse's back and rode down the hill in a thunder of hooves, as the distant sound of a bell echoed off the low clouds. Kier leapt onto Trig's back, his auburn sheen vibrant in spite of the filtered light. Janik followed close behind. They slowed their horses to a walk and ambled down the main village road in stunned silence. The village was like any other, including her own, if every village was inhabited by close-to-lifeless people who did not care about thriving. Pierre's gaze followed the villagers as they wandered along the roads, tired-looking, detached. A few of the women were in various stages of pregnancy— The dazed faces did not alter even slightly at the sight of a war horse ridden by a man in plate mail, a very ominous-looking dwarf, nor a battered woman with a bastard sword at her side. If Thalraker himself had come parading through the village, Kier figured these people wouldn't have turned a glance. Kier drew up into the square, stunned to see a dozen or more wounded villagers lying scattered in the mud. Derry had already slid from his horse. He grabbed his kit and hurried over to examine a woman whose shirt was smeared with blood. Giskellan's hands rested on the shoulders of a middle-aged woman. He was peering into her eyes and whispering. Fennel waved from the raised platform where he sat cradling a heavily pregnant girl. Pierre dismounted and joined him. Something in the water or what? Fennel looked at her quizzically. All the pregnant women, she shook her head dismissively. Never mind. What happened? "'Giskellan stopped another villager and stared intently into his eyes, whispering his incantation. "'They said she had to be punished,' Fennel said with a frown. "'But I dare say they would have killed her if I hadn't turned their attention elsewhere.' "'He described the scene in detail, including his well-placed arrow to the magistrate's shoulder "'and the villager's response to the ringing of the bell. "'It was sickening. The magistrate himself was about to throw the first stone.' Giskellan let the young man go, stood in the center of the square, arms out, palms up, and chanted. Kier touched the girl's arm. Are you all right? All I can get out of her is that her name is Emma. Here, Kier, you're a woman. Maybe she'll talk to you. She sure isn't talking to me. Hey, do I look like an expert on— Oh, never mind. Fennel left Kier with the girl while he went to prioritize the wounded for treatment. "'Emma,' Kier ventured. "'The girl didn't respond. "'Fennel might as well have handed her a bowl full of wheat "'and told her to bake something. "'Captain,' Juskellan called. "'I have done a sense-magic spell on several of the villagers "'and looked for magic in the air around this area.' "'Anything?' Derry gave a final tug on a bandage, "'dismissing that patient. "'The mage shook his head. "'It's not magic, whatever it is that's causing this madness.' "'Not magic,' Derry sat back on his heels. "'In a way I'm relieved, because I was worried it was magical, "'and then we'd be up against something none of us but you has any knowledge of.' "'Fennel led the next patient over, a youth with blood oozing through his dark curls. "'Conversely,' Derry went on, soaking his cloth in a pail of water— "'I am disappointed, because now we have to search for a way that some adversary could so dramatically affect the entire population of a village. "'This is not half a dozen people. It's—' "'He looked around the square with uncharacteristic helplessness. "'Everyone.' "'Is it in fact intentional?' Juskellan said. "'Perhaps we should not assume that it is not some sort of illness.' "'Fennel picked up the water-pail. "'I don't think so,' he said hesitantly as he carried it to the well. "'Getting ready to throw rocks at her? "'The rioting? "'The reaction to the bell? "'Why is there even a bell?' "'He stopped as if realizing he somehow shouldn't be speaking. "'Derry dabbed at the boy's head. "'You're right, Fennel,' he said with a glance at Kier. "'I have a hard time believing any of this is inadvertent.' Fennel looked pleased as he filled the pail. Jannik eyed the buildings that outlined the square. "'Maybe we should talk to some people. "'Dazed or not, someone must know something. "'Maybe that magistrate,' Juskellan said, "'or one of those other fellows that gave the orders.' "'Derry agreed that it was a good idea, "'and the two went off to find the magistrate "'after getting directions from an old man "'in the form of a vague wave.' Finished with the boy, Derry moved on to a woman whose arm hung limply at her side. Kier turned back to Emma, giving her a little shake on the arm. The girl's gaze rested on her, lost focus and wandered away. Kier looked right into her eyes. Who told them to do this? There was a flicker in Emma's eyes and she strayed again. Kier was baffled and getting frustrated. I'm here to help you. Who is the father? she asked sternly. "'You can tell me.' "'I... I can't... tell....'" Pierre couldn't guess whether it was a secret or the girl simply didn't know. She frowned, completely out of her element. "'Listen, let's, uh... get a drink of water.' Standing, she hooked her elbows underneath the girl's armpits and raised her to her feet and helped her down off the platform. She led the girl over to the nearby well and drew up a bucketful, splashing it on Emma's face. She encouraged her to cup her hands and take a drink. Better now? Where do you live? Shall I take you home? All right. Do you live with your parents? Kier went on, following in the direction Emma pointed. Emma drew herself up with subdued pride and said, My father is the magistrate of the village. She looked up at Kier with delighted eyes. "'Kierre stopped dead in her tracks. "'Shit!' she swung Emma around. "'On second thought, let's just go back and join my friends again for a minute or two. "'Propping Emma against the platform, Kier went over to Derry. "'The woman whose arm he had just put in a sling wandered off, murmuring, "'Such a nice young man.' "'We can't take her home.' Kier said in a reasonable tone that belied her rage. "'Her father is the one who wanted to hurl the first stone!' Kier looked around helplessly. "'What the hell is going on around here?' "'Derry applied salve to the forehead of a light-haired youth. "'This is quite a different story from what Valraker told us at the Twisting Pine,' he agreed." "'Dev did say that the villagers had become unemotional,' Fennel put in, as he tore a cloth into strips for Derry to use. "'Well, it's gone farther than that now,' Kier fumed. "'Yes,' said Derry calmly, "'but we cannot allow our own emotions to get out of hand and overcompensate for the villagers' lack thereof.' "'He was about to throw a rock at his own daughter, Derry.' That detail was not lost on me, Kier, but Valraker sent us up here to find out what is happening and to help these people if we can. Losing our minds will not help them. Kier knew Derry was right and clenched her teeth, trying to be sensible again. Can we assume Dregor is behind this? I think it's safe to assume that Dregor is behind pretty much every bit of evil or nastiness we ever lay eyes on, Fennel smiled wryly. But why this? Kier shook her head. She looked over her shoulder at the very pregnant girl who sat on the steps of the platform, picking off splinters of wood from the edge, wearing a contented smile. She's forgotten about it already. Kier took the girl to the one and only inn, and took her pick of all the musty-smelling rooms. The proprietor could not say how long it had been since his last guest, though he didn't seem to be bothered by it. Judging by the stale air and the carpet of dust over all the shabby furniture, it had to have been several months since anyone had set foot in this room. Kier brushed aside cobwebs, plucked a spider's egg sack off the pillow, and shook the moth-eaten blanket out the window before laying it over the mildew-stained straw tick. She left the windows wide open in the vain hope that the still air outside would relieve the staleness of the room and left Emma resting on the bed while she went back to the hilltop to fetch the party's belongings by the time she returned Emma was gone. Giskelin and Jannick eventually found the magistrate's house after knocking on several wrong doors. The magistrate of Nenya was one Peter Dillon. He invited them in with more cheer than Giscelin expected of someone who, not all that long ago, had an arrow protruding from his shoulder. But Derry did good work. The man seemed to be moving well, given that his right arm was in a sling. "'We work for the—the the Duke,' Giscelin said. "'Ah, oh, he must be very busy since he just arrived in town.' Giscelin shot a glance at Janik. "'I beg your pardon?' or else he would have come himself again, like yesterday. Yes, of course, Joscelyn said, sitting next to Janik on the sofa. I expect you have another message for me, Dylan said eagerly. What kind of a message were you expecting? Janik asked. Well, you know, the laws and things. What sorts of messages has he given you? Janik pressed. The man's wife entered with tea and biscuits for their guests and laid the tray out on a low table. She turned to them with a curious smile. You're both very short. Uh, Janik leaned forward. You perceive that we are sitting down? Yes, please do, she left the room. The two friends exchanged a bemused look. Dylan went through the motions of pouring tea, although it was plain from the outset that the pot was, in fact, empty. As Dillon returned to his chair, Janik lifted his cup, flipped it upside down, and peered into it. Jiskellin gave him a sharp elbow in the ribs. Janik glared as if to say, "'Don't blame me!' Aloud, the dwarf announced, "'Mine is far too hot to drink at this time!' "'Ahem,' Jiskellin said. "'My wife is always happy to please the Duke's men,' the magistrate said. "'Yes, well, certainly,' The mage composed himself, "'But what of these messages?' He eyed the biscuits with suspicion and didn't take one. With much prompting, they managed to piece together the story of how, for many months, the magistrate had been receiving messages from someone calling himself the Duke, delivered orally by an emissary. At the start, it had been instructions to build a simple item, for instance, a specific kind of box. Then they were told to take it apart.' There were instructions regarding harvesting of crops. In the autumn, a curfew was imposed, whereby it had been unlawful to be outside after sundown. The punishment was for the culprit to be chained on top of the platform in the square for the night, exposed to the elements and whatever else might find them there. Then no visiting was permitted at all, except from the Duke's emissaries. But after a time, the Duke abolished that law. Instead, it was permissible to steal bread. "'It was chaotic around here for that one,' the man said. "'People running about at all hours, damaging windows and doors. "'It got so that people would just leave leftover bread out on the doorstep to avoid the trouble. "'It was quite a time.' "'Sounds like a real hootenanny,' Janik said. "'Jeskellin ignored him. "'Can you give us an example of one of these messages?' "'Certainly. He has me repeat them to be sure I get them right.' "'The most recent one was just yesterday, delivered by the duke himself.' "'He pushed himself to his feet again and grasped his slinged hand with his left in a formal attitude. Dillon spoke with authority. "'It is unlawful to be with child without marriage vows. "'Punishment, public stoning.' "'He turned to them. "'The villagers agreed to it without question.' Juskellan had seen at least ten young pregnant women since entering Nenya, and hoped with his whole heart they had put a permanent halt to the practice of punishing them. "'I beg your pardon, but, uh, what is this duke's name?' Juskellan asked. Dylan cocked his head to one side. His face went blank. "'It—I—it—well, it's just the duke.' "'How does the bell fit in?' "'Janik demanded. "'The bell? "'It summons us, and it sends us home.' "'Who rings it?' "'Juskelon asked. "'Just then the door opened, "'and the pregnant girl walked into the house. "'The truth struck him, and his stomach lurched. "'Janik found his voice first. "'She's your daughter?' "'Juskelon suddenly wondered "'how so many young women had become pregnant.' Dillon had mentioned something about visits from the Duke's emissaries. His blood froze. The magistrate glanced up and held out his hand in greeting. He pulled her close and kissed her lightly on the cheek. He sat before her and placed his palm on her belly and caressed it. "'I can feel him kicking,' he said. Then, remembering his manners, he said, "'Sit down, my darling. You must take care of my little one in there.' The daughter obeyed, lowering herself awkwardly into the ash-wood rocker by the fire. Yes, Papa, she said. Janik leapt to his feet. Juskellan put a restraining hand on his arm, fearful of the dwarf's intentions. Well, thank you for the tea. We must be off. Don't want to keep the Duke waiting, Janik added. Beneath the heavy cloud cover, Derry felt hemmed in. The stillness of the village was spooky. It was as if everyone had been sucked back into their homes after the brawl. Standing at the crest of the hill overlooking an evergreen wood, Derry took long, deep breaths, but his lungs were tight and would not expand. He couldn't keep his mind from the possibility of having to tell Valraker that they had been unable to resolve the villager's situation. He imagined the discouragement his lord would feel, the sorrow for his people." Dariad had stepped away for a few solitary moments to think. Soon he would be required to give his company some form of direction. He breathed the heavy air, bracing himself against admitting defeat before he'd begun. A few steps down the hill took him to a circle of nine statues. The gods and goddesses, all carved out of obsidian, the weeds grown up to knee height around their bases. They stood facing one another as if in conference— "'Discussing a way you can help me?' he asked with little faith. Sure enough, Kier and Fennel ambled toward him along the ridge of the hill. The black stone figures remained motionless and unhelpful. But Derry knew in his heart that it was with himself he felt frustration, not with the Divine Ones. Why should they aid him when he had taken no steps on his own to discover how this condition was afflicting everyone in Nenya?' With a strange sense of trepidation, he stepped into the circle of stone creations. Will you give me a clue, a place to start? The rest of the world fell silent around him. Derry studied them with admiration Dima, the sun god, Garen, god of fire and war, Aden, goddess of life, Therese, Kowaldor, and the rest. These were wondrous representations, some of the best Derry had seen. This Aiden cradled a sheaf of wheat in one arm, and with the other hand she held the Spirarus, the flower that breathes life into all living things. She was even more lifelike than the statue he had shown Kier in shale. He couldn't take his eyes off them, drawn by their power and mystery. The statues seemed to speak to him. His doubt of them wavered. His gaze rested on the statue of Dion, the water goddess. Her hair flowed in wavy ringlets from her head, the way a stream gurgles forth from a spring. He followed the hair down her sleek body, past the hands, rippled like the surface of a lake when a pebble has been tossed in. Nestled in her arms was the Huisque, the mythical creature resembling part fish, part cloud. Her fin-like feet were together as though she were about to dive. Derry stared at the statue. Dion, goddess of water. That's it, he yelled just as Kier and Fennel stepped up. Derry was too excited and relieved to feel embarrassed. Fennel, go to the inn and ask if we can borrow some pots and pans. Huh? I'm serious, please. The elf obediently trotted back up the hill, but Kier was looking at him quizzically. The water, Derry explained eagerly, leaving the circle of statues. It's so obvious. Her bruised face lit up. Someone's contaminated the well. Yes! Without even thinking, he flung his arms around her. She let out a hiss of surprise and pain. He let go instantly. I'm sorry. It's... She wasn't looking at him. I'm fine. He backed off, heat flaring on his face. I guess I'll need Jaskellin's help with this. They hurried up the hill. Kier and Fennel sat up on the platform. Juskellan and Janek had returned, and the dwarf hacked off a corner of the platform to make a fire at the edge of the square. The mage drew a bucketful of water from the well and distributed it among the pots and saucepans they borrowed from the inn. Derry laid out various herbs and fungi that they would add to the water to test it. He and the mage crouched by the fire, their heads together in earnest discussion. The mage dropped bits of stuff into the water, a pinch here and a pinch there. Kier fidgeted, pulling at splinters of wood, the same way Emma had done earlier. Her body simmered like one of the saucepans, with a mixture of uselessness and impatience, with a pinch of hope added. Soon Janick joined them, standing off to one side awkwardly. As if he doesn't want anyone to think he's with us, Kier thought with amusement. The dwarf told them about his and Giskellan's visit with the magistrate, the laws, the horrific announcement he'd demonstrated, and the appearance of the man's daughter. He seemed to need to talk about it. And it's worse, he went on. It looks like the magistrate isn't just her father. Kier added a pinch of nausea to her concoction, and Fennel murmured, that's horrible. And he even told us that the duke himself is in town, Janick finished. I'm dying to find out who does a good Valraker impersonation. There's some sort of conditioning going on, Kier said. They started with simple instructions, probably as a test. Build a box, take it apart, Janik said. They separated folks from each other, maybe so they couldn't discuss anything, Fennel said. Then the directions became more complicated and they added punishments, Kier said. Someone told them the girl's pregnancy was wrong, Janik put in. Someone told them to start throwing rocks at her. Kier picked up his point, but they didn't get to throw their stones at Emma. They reacted instead to the arrow. They went mad and then someone rang the bell. What worries me is that if someone got them all riled up and then nobody rang the bell to tell them to stop, Fennel began. They'd likely beat the daylights out of each other and they'd all be dead, Janik said. One village destroyed by Dregor without so much as the lifting of a finger by a single orc. Kier bit her tongue and swallowed bile, horrified at the irony that there really might be something in the water. I guess as long as people drink from the well, they'll be affected without any awareness of it. She turned this over and over in her mind. It led somewhere if she could only pinpoint it. Dragor could easily use the same treatment on other villages and towns, maybe even cities, and eventually have complete control. Fennel added, "Oh, come on, it would never go that far." They looked at each other grimly. "I'm thirsty," said Fennel. "'Janet cuffed him on the back of the head. Kier looked over at Derry and Jaskelellen, stirring, smelling. She was aware of a few pairs of eyes peering out at them from behind tattered curtains in the low buildings that surrounded the square, watching the proceedings. "'Listen,' Kier straightened. "'Like you said, somebody is feeding them these instructions. Wouldn't it make sense that whoever was causing this would want to be present to oversee it? And if so, wouldn't it also make sense that they would want to be near a fresh water source?' They looked at her blankly. There's a stream down there, she said, pointing, and for that matter, if it's the well water that's been poisoned, wouldn't it stand to reason that anyone who happened to live by the stream wouldn't be affected? Remember Val mentioning Carver, the man who spoke to Dev and seemed to still have his wits about him? He was aware enough to tell the scout what he had noticed. Do you suppose he rang the bell? Ronav clasped his hands on his belly and observed his new right-hand man appraisingly. Hunter tipped his chair so the back rested on the wall of the cottage. "'Doesn't it bother you that things didn't go as planned?' Ronav shook his head. "'The result was interesting, all the same,' he gave his new right hand a smirk. "'How did you enjoy your first day as Duke?' Hunter's face looked impassive. He was about to answer when the cottage door was flung open." "'Chief, it's Valraker's company that stopped it!' "'He looked at Ronav, his face stricken with distress. "'They're doing some sorts of tests on the well water. "'And, Chief, she's with them!' "'Ronav felt a moment's panic but contained it. "'Hunter's knuckles were white where they clutched his liquor cup. "'It was up to Ronav to keep control. "'He shrugged dismissively. "'We're not dealing with amateurs, after all. "'Lord Valraker doesn't take on imbeciles!' "'What do we do?' Ritchie asked. "'The others are cracking. They think she's a witch.' "'Ronav could relate. "'Perhaps she is,' he looked at his right hand. "'I haven't shared with you the story of our little guest we had recently. "'It was the day before you arrived,' he chuckled. "'She's one of Valraker's playthings, you know, "'and I had a need for a chat with her. "'She caused us some trouble.' "'He suppressed a shudder, sipping his drink.' "'She has a pendant with a jewel on it.' "'Hunter blinked, but was still. "'A very peculiar thing,' Ronav went on. "'My man Khan was quite taken with her, of course. "'She's a rather pretty treat, and was fascinated by the pendant. "'He touched the jewel, and a very peculiar thing happened. "'He heard his pitch rising and wiped his suddenly sweating palms on his shirt, "'but regained his nerves. "'It exploded and killed him.' The scene was so vivid in his memory, the man's screams echoed around the chamber. "'Peculiar indeed!' Hunter drained his cup and poured again. "'So do we, attack, chief?' Ritchie said, clearly hoping the answer would be no. The wheels turned in the chief's mind and a smile formed on his lips. "'There will be no need. We have one more experiment to perform.' Ritchie leaned against the cottage doorframe, relieved. Ronav looked at his right-hand man. You, Sir Duke, have new orders to deliver, and you must not be seen by them. Hunter shrugged. I have no wish to be. The horses had been waiting patiently for some attention, so Fennel, Janik, and Kier stapled them at the inn. Soon after, the trio stood on the north hill overlooking the stream. It was more like a creek. Pierre had never studied Eckhart geography, but she imagined this was a tributary to the north flowing river along which they had traveled to get here. It cradled the hill on which the village perched and disappeared into some trees around the bend. A few cottages were scattered along it, a few sheep and cows wandering between them. Pierre was glad to be doing something productive instead of feeling helpless and restless. They descended the slope to the right and investigated the first cottage. They walked through the wide-open door. The braided area rug in the front room was saturated with water, the result of gaping holes in the thatch roof. At the second cottage, goats had the run of the house, and it looked as if the human residents had left right in the middle of dinner. At the third home, the fence had collapsed from lack of maintenance, and a few sheep wandered around aimlessly. Something made Fennel take a closer look. He waved the other two over. "'This fence was very well made.' "'Look how sturdily this corner was built. The joint doesn't even wiggle,' he demonstrated. Moving farther along the fencing, as it lay nestled in the dirt, he pointed out dents caused by a wide-headed hammer. The horizontal portions had not deteriorated. They had been smashed. "'Somebody wanted to make life pretty difficult for this farmer,' Kier said. "'Here's another place where the fence looks like it was kicked down.' Janik leaned over a section a few paces farther along. "'This indentation in the dry mud looks like a boot heel where it was stomped on.' "'You're right. You'll make a decent tracker, even with only one eye.' He bit back the words and looked at the dwarf in alarm. Janik stood like a monolith, and Kier's fingers twitched, ready to draw her sword in Fennel's defense. Then the dwarf shocked her. "'Then you'll be out of a job and could take up poetry.' Kier allowed herself a breath and relaxed her hand. She hesitantly played along. Just promise never to share it with any of us. The elf grinned ruefully. Kier moved to go around to the back of the house. She didn't know what to make of the dwarf's response. Perhaps he had been so affected by the plight of the villagers that he had summoned some compassion. She chose to accept it, but not count on it. There was a stone outbuilding behind the house, sturdy, with a solid door and shutters on the windows. They were latched from the inside. Within, the darkness was barely lifted by the grey light from outside. Something crunched under Kierre's boot as she stepped across the even dirt ground to open the shutters. Fennel and Janik stood in the doorway. Once the window was open, she could see what was spread all over the floor. Chunks of flat stone surrounded by smaller bits and a great deal of dust— "'Grains of wheat and corn were scattered about, "'and a couple of broken wooden rods, "'useless for anything more than fuel.' "'A grindstone?' Kier asked, puzzled. "'That's what it looks like,' Fennel agreed. "'Or a small rotary quern?' "'There was no mistaking that it had been purposefully smashed. "'No piece of the contraption was salvageable.' "'Kier walked around to the front door of the house, "'Fennel close on her heels. "'She tried the door. "'Unlike the others, this one was locked.' She and Fennel exchanged a puzzled glance. Janek hung on the path behind them. There was no answer to Fennel's light tap on the door. Kier peered in the window and saw a rather disturbing silhouette. "Uh Uh-oh. Hello? Fennel urgently rapped again. Is anyone there? Finally a voice came from the other side of the door. Who are you? it demanded. It sounded very young. We're here to help, Kier said. We work for the duke. Would such a young person know who the duke was? Papa's duke or the other one? Suspicion was strong in the voice. As far as I know, there's only one duke, Kihar said, and that's Valraker. After a moment they heard a click and the door handle moved. A small face peeked out through the crack and eyed them from within a fringe of dark curls. The door opened wider, revealing a girl of about six years— she gripped a large knife in both hands. Fennel got down on one knee, keeping a respectful distance from the knife. "'Hey there,' he said quietly. "'My name's Fennel, and this is my friend Kier. "'That back there is Janik. "'What's your name?' "'Sasha Carver.' "'Kier caught her breath. <gasps> "'Carver.' "'Papa says Lord is the real duke, not the other man.' "'Your papa's right.' Fennel nodded somberly. What other man, Kier said. Sasha looked at Fennel, puzzled. What are you? You look different. Fennel grinned. I'm an elf. The girl's eyes grew wide. I didn't never meet a elf before. Papa says no elf would ever work for the fake duke. Fennel nodded. He's right. The knife slowly lowered. Sasha looked openly at Kier. Your face looks funny. Kier smiled stiffly, having forgotten the yellowish bruises that must make her look a bit hideous still. I had an accident. Kier was struck by the child's awareness. This girl was decidedly not in the same sleepy state as the rest of the village. Where's your papa right now? He's right here, but he's... Sasha turned her head around to look at him. She opened the door a bit more and Fennel entered, followed by Kier. The gray light from outside revealed a horrific sight, and Kier stifled a gasp. Fennel bit his lower lip. Sasha's papa was half propped up by a wooden chair, his head and arms dangling at awkward angles. A pool of blood was drying all around him, and Kier realized that Sasha's apron and dress were splotched with rust-brown patches that must have come from this source. The man had been stabbed repeatedly in the chest and as if to punctuate his death, his assailant had planted a knife straight through his throat. The eyes were open in an expression of terror. Kier felt hot rage sizzle inside her. "'By the gods, little one, how did this happen?' Fennel whispered. Kier fought back the nauseating mass of fury and sorrow. "'It was the other duke. I didn't see them. I was in my hiding spot. Want to see?' They nodded, and for a moment Kier was worried by the girl's lack of concern that maybe she was dazed. But this wasn't the same as the sleepwalkers up the hill. Sasha was in shock. A darkening in the doorway told her that Janik had approached. Sasha led them into the pantry and set her knife on a shelf, then pointed to the tiny cupboard door in the corner. She opened the door and squeezed in. "'I always hide here when the men come. They were talking to Papa and they sounded cross.' Papa said he liked the real Duke best, and they yelled, and there was bumping, and then the men went away. It was so quiet. Her lip began to quiver, and her voice dropped to a whisper. Papa always said wait until he calls me to come out, but he didn't call me. Tears overflowed from her eyes and spilled down her round cheeks. I waited and waited for such a long time, but he didn't call. I got hungry. She turned her sweet face up to Pierre. "'So I came out and found him.' "'Shit,' Pierre thought. "'Fennel took Sasha's hand and patted it. "'It's good that you came out and that we found you. "'Come on out of there now. We'll take you with us.' "'Sasha shook her head and bits of her brown hair stuck to her tear-dampened cheeks. "'I don't want to leave Papa.' "'Fennel drew her out of the cupboard and held her close, stroking the back of her head. "'We need to get you out of here in case the men come back.' I'm really sorry, but you can't help your papa now, my dear. How about? He looked desperately over at Kier. You stay with Kier. Kier nodded, and Janik and I will tend to your papa. All right. Sasha pulled back and looked at him with rounded brown eyes. She nodded. Fennel ruffled the child's hair. Where did the men come from? Janik surprised them from the doorway of the pantry. They live in the temple just over in the woods, Sasha pointed. We haven't been allowed to go there in a long time. Fennel turned to them. We'd better go check out the temple, the dwarf nodded. Kier's hand moved to loosen her sword, then she glanced at Sasha. You two go on and I'll take her up to Derry. They wordlessly agreed and made their way out of the house. Kier felt wooden, but thought of the child's father rapidly cooling in the other room. She crouched. Come on, Sasha, I'll take you up into the village to meet my other friends. What about Papa? We'll come back and tend to him, I promise. Right now we have to leave here. Sasha nodded. Wait, I have to get Arrow. She ran from the room. A moment later she returned and held an object out to Kier, an extraordinarily beautiful griffin like those that guarded the towers at Shale Castle but carved out of dark wood. It was in a sitting position, and from its bottom to the top of its head was about the size of Kier's hand. Its wings were partially folded in the back. Papa made him for me. His name is Arrow. He will help take care of me. Her papa made him. Carver. Kier's mouth went dry. Yes, he will. She took Sasha's hand, and to Kier's surprise, Sasha put her arms around her neck. After an instant's hesitation, Kier put her arms around her and stood up, lifting the girl. Kier winced and ignored the sharpness and stinging inflicted by even the slight extra weight. Sasha, oblivious, held her tight and exhaled deeply, as if realizing the truth of what had happened. Kier carried her out the front door and away from the house. A few sheep bleated forlornly. The woods were on their right as they ascended the hill to the main village. That's where the men live, Sasha said, pointing. Kier nodded. Fennel and Janik have gone to see if they can find them. Do you really know the true duke? the little girl asked. Yes, he's a very good friend. I only just... She was interrupted by a sound from the woods, a cry and a ring of steel. Uh Uh-oh, she said, stopping. Sasha, she set the child down. I have to go. I think my friends are in trouble, but I'm going to give you some instructions. Can you follow them? The child nodded. Kier hated to send her on her own, but there was nothing for it. "'Good girl. Now, up in the square. You know the square?' "'Another nod. "'Excellent. Up there is a tall man with blonde hair. "'He's wearing chain mail and armor. Do you know what that means?' "'She nodded again. "'You're amazing. Now that man is my friend. "'He is Lord Valraker's best friend, okay?' "'The girl's eyes widened. "'Go to him and tell him that Kier sent you to him. Can you remember that?' "'Yep,' Sasha said. Kier gave her a hug and sent her up the hill, trusting the child to tell Derry everything about where she had gone and why. Then she went to the woods. There you have it. Thanks for sticking around. Only three chapters left, and then it'll be time to get ready for book two, Gatekeeper's Deception. Gonna take two or three weeks off in between, and, uh, Share some chats, maybe some short fiction, stuff like that. Have a bit of a break from the novels. You know what's a good thing about this pandemic? Our local government recognizes that if you're going to hang out and socialize with friends, outdoors is safer than indoors. With that in mind, they started a pilot project where we can drink alcohol in the park. Which we're not usually allowed to do. They chose six parks throughout the city, and one of them happens to be in the park right there through the trees by my house. So we go over there with our drinks and sit there and chit-chat the same way we would do at our home or our friends' houses. And look, we say, look how responsible we adults are, not being rowdy and not throwing our garbage all over. We have our visit with our adult beverages, and then we go home. Our alcohol consumption laws here in BC are so goofy and archaic that we're very proud of being allowed to show that we can consume adult beverages responsibly in a public place. I like our local government, though, for not overthinking the thing. I mean, if it doesn't work, if too many people are twits, they, then they can shut it down. But why not give people the chance to give it a go? And if it's working and there aren't any problems, then keep it because it only makes sense. Check out the Totally Fantastic Title Facebook page. Drop me an email at totallyfantastictitle at gmail.com if you want to get the newsletter. And thanks again to my family, Matt, David, Heather, and Maggie. Thanks, David and Sharon. Thanks to the original six, and thanks to you. Now go be fantastic.